Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate his love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We have got a good God and we've also got uh, a really cool preacher this morning who I get the privilege of introducing. I think he's one of the best looking preachers around. No, he is the best looking preacher around. And even more so this week, he got smarter this week. Uh, like we've got a good news story. The kids are super excited because he's finally admitted to needing to wear glasses. So uh, take a look at this good looking man this morning. Uh, welcome him into your homes and look forward to what he's got to share with us. Go Chad. Yeah, I think we all know that that's not entirely true. I don't need these glasses. They, I am known for my fashion. Aren't I, Jesse? Why would I ask you? You've got a floral shirt on. No, the, the truth of the matter is that we were walking through the mall past where Chris works there at OPSM and Jay saw a photo of a Hemingsworth brother and thought, gee, I wish my husband looked more like that and thought, well, I'm going to go in there and get a pair of Hemingsworths. I'm and coming I'm pretty, back up. I'm pretty sure that's how it worked. Hemisworth or Thor? I, I just Thor. Anyway, I can't believe this is live. <laughs> I look like Thor. I just have to uh, take this, you know. Chad was actually sitting in front of the TV last night and he <laughs> took the glasses off and then he put them back on again and he goes, wow, it's a lot clearer. So it's a little bit clearer. Yeah, well, hey, like, like I said to the Parkers, it's not that my eyes aren't good with them off. It's just, now what did I say? I how did I, how did I word it? <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. See, the problem with this now is I can't see your, your bantering, so I expect that uh, there's uh, some jovial banter in there, or that we're half uh, a minute behind and we can wipe all that out. Is that right, Jono? Yeah, I don't believe you for a second. Uh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you once again for joining us here online, and uh, a particular welcome to some of our extended family over the last a uh, few weeks with this whole lockdown situation. I know uh, Malcolm's been adding a few uh, of our extended family members from around the place to this Facebook group. And uh, I actually noticed before that uh, Jay, Jay's parents are watching from Queensland. So a big day to you guys way up there. And uh, it is our hope, depending on how well today goes, uh, that we'll uh, be able to do this more and more live, and not just live, but public uh, to the broader community. And so in a sense, this is another trial for us as we keep this in-house. Those of you who've been following our journey in the last few weeks have seen some of the technological advantages and disadvantages that we've been, mostly my issue, uh, that we've been uh, working through over the last few weeks. So hopefully today we're coming to you well and strong. We've upgraded our internet. We've done a little bit more work on the platform here and still playing around with that type of thing. And uh, hopefully today we make this as seamless for you as possible. And uh, I trust that you participate today, not just uh, watch, not just observe, stay tuned, stay involved and participate with us online as best you can. And that goes for you, uh, guys here in the room. Hey, metre and a half, you two? Metre and a half uh, in this room as well. So I, I need you guys to interact because you're like saying amen for 200 people, okay? Yeah, thank you very much. All right, all right, that'll do, that'll do. I'll tell you what, why don't you grab your Bibles at home? We're going to open up to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2 and uh, I'm going to do some scripture reading 
from there before uh, doing what I usually do and uh, unpacking a few things. It's my hope today, it is the first uh, Sunday in May, and it is my hope today to start a bit of a mini-series, just something that the Lord's put on my heart, uh, just a, a few-week mini-series here. We've got Mother's Day, of course, next Sunday as well, uh, so remember that. And uh, so I'm hoping to bring out uh, just a little teaching here from the book of 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. So I trust if you can turn with, in your Bibles to me there, and uh, I'll read the scripture. I'm reading today. My version uh, from the NIV. Not my version, but I'm reading from the NIV. Here we go. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You then, be my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these things to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying. Because if you do this, the Lord will give you insight into all this. But in the meantime, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained therefore i endure endure i endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in christ jesus with eternal glory i endure it's not a tumor second tim not banter for 200 people malcolm no, I, I, I insisted no banter while I'm preaching. That's, that's not allowed. It's very serious now. <laughs> this uh, book of 2 Timothy is uh, widely regarded as the last epistle that we have of the Apostle Paul. It's written in the mid-60s, okay? So the Beatles and all that were around back then. Written in the mid-60s, uh, just before he, death, he, he died, a martyr's death. Uh, that's right. Just before he died, uh, ma uh, what's his name? Shush, you guys. I shouldn't have encouraged this at all. Come on, we're live. Uh, just before he died, he was martyred by Emperor Nero. Uh, tradition tells us he was beheaded. The point is this, lost his head. Uh, Paul wrote this as his last epistle. And from a, uh, a literary point of view, the book of 2 Timothy really reads much like a departure speech. Okay, If you read through the Bible, those of you who've read through the Bible with me through the Old Testament or doing it now on social media again, well done, Alex, for reading through the Torah, the books of Moses. That's awesome. One of the things we see as we read the Scriptures is there's around about 20 different occasions where a significant leader will give a departure speech, Okay, like a farewell address. All right, We see this with Jacob, whose name's Israel, and also Joseph 
Joseph at the end of Genesis. They pull together their family and they give a last speech to their people. Joshua does the same. Moses does the same. King David does the same. Samuel the prophet does the same. Jesus is famous for doing it. Uh, when you read John 13 to 17, those chapters are pretty well all in red. Okay, And uh, most of that is a departure speech. It's Jesus' last will and testament. Okay, His last thing he says before he dies. And Paul the Apostle does a similar thing. In Acts chapter 20, we see him give a departure speech to the elders in Ephesus, uh, where Timothy is based. Incidentally, he gathers them together and he says, listen, I don't know how much longer I've got to live. So here's what I want to tell you all. And the letter to, second, to Timothy here, the second letter to Timothy is same, they're very similar. It reads like a departure speech. And while each departure speech obviously is unique, they have similar, uh, many similarities. They have common components. Uh, these departure speeches involve a summons of a leader calling people to themselves. If you read 2 Timothy, that's your homework this week, read 2 Timothy, you'll find out. Paul's doing exactly that. He's summoning Timothy to himself as a part of this letter. He invokes his life mission as an example. It's a very common feature to, it, to say, listen, remember the example I've set for you, because you're not going to have me around much longer. Remember the example I've set for you. They invoke that as an example to follow. They declare their innocence and discharge their duties. It's really fascinating as you read uh, how that is a, a common feature. They say, listen, I'm innocent. I've done my best. Okay? I've finished my race. <laughs> I've done my best. Now it's your job to carry on after me. They refer to their death. They exhort farewell, uh, give warnings, blessings, historical review. They give prophetic insight into the future. They reference sometimes a successor. They give final cons consolations, etc. So this letter is very much Paul's last hurrah. Okay? It's the last thing he writes. He knows he's going to die. Uh, this is not Paul's arrest in Acts 28. At the end of the book of Acts, he's arrested in house arrest when he writes Colossians and Philippians and all that. Okay, then he gets released from there. And then a couple of years later, he's captured again and put in a dungeon. So this is his dungeon letter. He is literally in chains. That's what he said in this verse here. Even though I'm chained, the word of God's not chained. And so he knows Nero is about to say off with his head. And uh, this is his last will and testimony, as it were, to his spiritual son, Timothy. And he's writing to Timothy because in his own words Paul says I've got no one else like this boy Paul had a lot of people that he led to Christ he had crowds that gathered to him to hear him speak but at the end of his life he says and he says it in this letter twice right at the beginning and right at the end he says everyone's deserted me I have a very few a very close circle of friends that have actually endured with me to the end and he keeps saying to Timothy please mate don't be ashamed of me don't be ashamed of me. You loved me when I was a great preacher and everyone was watching me. Do, please continue to endure with me for the sake of the gospel, even when I'm a bit embarrassing because I'm in change. Please endure. And so thank God for Timothy. Thank God for Paul. Thank God for the ability of people to pass on truth from one generation to the next. Because here we are 2,000 years later because of men like this that endured their race, that finished their course, and that handed on what they had learnt to others. And I want to reference this passage of Scripture in the next few weeks to encourage you to do a similar thing, to keep going, to enduring, to persisting, to continue to finish the race and run the course that God has for us. All right? Let's have a look at the first couple of verses before I focus today on the picture of a soldier. Let's read verse 1 again. He says here to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace. Come on at home, everybody say, be strong. 
I heard you. I definitely did. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. You know, grace is something that we receive. Romans 5 tells us that. We've received God's abundant provision of grace and we reign in life because of that. In the opening uh, verses of Timothy, of this letter, he says we've received uh, salvation by grace. We've received everything we need for a holy life by grace. We've received grace, number one. Number two, we need to be strengthened in grace and continue in grace. At the end of the book of Hebrews, Paul, who I think wrote Hebrews, says, listen, I want your hearts to be strengthened in grace. It's not enough just to receive grace. We have to continue to receive and be strengthened in grace so that we can get to the point where Timothy is and say, now, be strong. As Jay made reference to before, just uh, in our worship time, about like a tree that puts down its roots. It's that exact same picture. We need to be strong in the grace of God, not just planted when we're born again. We're planted in God's acceptance. We're planted in his love. We know God loves us and has called us beyond anything we've done good for him. No, no, no. Now we need to strengthen. We need to ongoingly put our roots down into the grace of God. All right. I spoke a message in... in, um, what was it called? Christchurch back in March this year about the key to a fertile heart. About listen, one of the the way we can have a fertile heart is con- to continually recognise God's grace. All right, God is good to us, even if we don't deserve it, and God empowers us to do anything He calls us to do. The acceptance aspect of God's grace, the empowering aspect of God's grace. Paul writes to Timothy and says, "Listen, mate, if you've got any hope of enduring, you need to be strong in God's grace." Not be strong in your own abilities, not be strong and hard-headed in in anything else but God's grace. It is God's grace that will see us through, okay? And so he says here in verse 1, my son, be strong. God wants us to be strong and steadfast in his grace. And for some of you, that is definitely a word to you today. In verse 2, he goes on to say, listen, the things that you've heard from me, I want you to pass on to reliable men who will be able to teach other people. Paul wants Timothy to think generationally. Not just think about grace, but think generationally. These, by the way, are key words here in our building. Don't forget them of our seven pillars. We acknowledge grace as a church and we acknowledge generations. He says, listen, I've taught you things. Paul taught Timothy. Now teach others who can teach others. Paul is thinking in terms of four generations and beyond. That's how he sees his legacy. This is like a hundred-year vision. It's one of the most powerful things we observed last year when I went to Europe for the first time. And you just see, see the cathedrals and the architecture and the things that have been built by people that sometimes a cathedral would take hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of years to build. And we just sat there and marveled at the fact that these people had a vision beyond their own generation, that they knew they were doing something for their grandkids' grandkids, you know. And this is what Paul, in his last words, before I die, I want you to know, think beyond yourself think beyond your immediate generation think beyond what's immediately in front of you timothy these chains at the end of the day this is going to come it's going to go god's word's not chained and it won't be chained for generation to generation you need to make sure you have a generational view that's how we conduct ourselves i'm not sure how you your view of end times and end of planet theology and that type of thing but i tell you one of the most harmful things that is that the, the church has adopted over history is having such an imminent view of the end end of planet earth that we don't invest beyond our own generation we have suffered because of that we need to have a long-term view and live our life believing that we can pass things on to a generation to equip a generation that equips a generation as you read the old testament god it's fascinating as you read through the scriptures god one of the most common ways god introduces himself 
is he says, I am the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, and the boys, the tribes of Israel. That's how he introduces, he doesn't introduce himself ever as the God of Noah. He never comes to people in the Old Testament and says, the God of Adam speaketh to thou. <laughs> He's not the God of Adam. He doesn't introduce himself as the God of Noah. He doesn't introduce himself as the God of Enoch. That'd be good. Enoch walked with God. Yeah, but he walked with God and then he was no more. And there's no sign or testimony that his sons followed, as it were, in his footsteps on planet Earth. God introduces himself generationally. There's something powerful in that. Something powerful about God wanting his people to know, I'm the God of legacy. Abram, Isaac, Jacob, and the boys. Paul, Timothy, teach others who would teach others. Part of our enduring is having a long-term view that there is a generation beyond us. And uh, I think we'd bode well for our culture if we did that more. And here we are. We get into the point today. We're in verse 3. In light of all this, he says, Join with me in suffering for the gospel or endure hardship this translation says with us like a good soldier the word hardship here basically infers suffering unjust suffering for a just cause we all know there's a difference between suffering because of our stupidity <laughs> and suffering because we're a good soldier that's going about a good cause there's a difference and this is what paul is saying here he says listen there is hardship there is suffering. I want you to endure with us. We're in this together. And I want you to do it like a good soldier. In fact, as we read this passage, he uses three word pictures to bring this home point, point home to his son. Just to see if you take that off the recording. To bring this point home to his son. He says, listen, as I leave you with my departing words, as I'm calling you to endure, to work hard, to persevere, to think generationally, I need you to know this. You are a soldier, you're an athlete, you're a farmer. Soldier, athlete, farmer, good soldier, competitive athlete, and hard-working farmer. And today, I just want to focus on that first image, the picture of a good soldier. That's where we're going today. You okay? Yes? You know, one of the things that we speak about here a lot at church at Bayside is the importance of identity. The understanding who we are, understanding whose we are, and understanding who God has called us to do life with, who God has called us to affect, who we are, whose we are, and whom we are to affect. And what I want to do is take Paul's advice here in this passage where he says to Timothy, I want you to reflect on what I'm saying. So God will give you insight. He doesn't just write scripture. He says, now listen, I've written it, read it, and now reflect on it. This is how we read the Bible. We're supposed to read, reflect, and then respond. So I want to come to you today and say, we've just read a passage saying we are soldiers. Today, I want us to reflect on that identity image. What does it teach us about who I am? What does it teach me about who God is? What does it teach me about other people? that picture and how should I appropriately respond to that last year we did a series called word up and I put it this way this is a little acronym just to help you to remember I find this helpful that we are to discover the joy of biblical application when we read and reflect on the scripture 
We're to find the joy. Okay, Joy, Jesus, others and you. When you read a passage of scripture like this, we should be able to, at any scripture we read, even the most weird ones, okay, we should be able to say, what does this passage show me about Jesus? Jay, what does it show me about others? What can I learn about others, other people, that I may love and help them? And what does it teach me about you? What does it teach me about me? Define the joy in biblical application. That's the approach I want to do, I want to take today as I look at this issue of a soldier. Verse 3 again. It says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. I'm not sure why the NIV does this. In the translation I have, the word there is entangled in civilian affairs. I'm going to focus a bit on that later because that's really key. And that's actually, in my opinion, a far better translation. Entangled in civilian affairs because he wants to please his commanding officer you know last week we this time last week we're celebrating Anzac Day and uh, I can't help but think every time we do Anzac Day of those four words that are on the Kokoda memorial on the Kokoda trail that speak about the heart and the attitude of our servicemen uh, and women who have died and given their life and served us in our armed forces those four words are courage endurance mateship and sacrifice what comes into your mind when you think of a soldier courage endurance endurance mateship and sacrifice great words i just i just i just love them there's a message in that these are something of the qualities of a good uh, military uh, operation and uh, it's fascinating to me that of course every year on our calendar Anzac Day comes almost straight after Easter. They're the two public holidays that sort of back to back one another, mostly in April. Here we are celebrating the sacrifice of those who serve, those who have bought our, that he who has bought our eternal freedom and those who have bought our civilian freedom. And there's something so honorable about an honorable soldier. And this is one of the things Paul is drawing out here. So let's look at the joy that we can draw from this analogy. What does this analogy teach us, number one, about Jesus? If we are soldiers, what does that teach us about who Jesus is? Well, in this passage, it says, this good soldier wants to please his commanding officer. Commanding officer. The word there speaks about one who calls or enlists or recruits or gathers soldiers this is who jesus is he's the one who calls us he's the one in the gospels who walks past fishermen's nets and say hey follow me he calls people he recruits people to himself and the main picture here that we see of jesus is that uh, has to do with the issue of authority this is one of the the pictures of the army has to do with the lesson of authority the fact that jesus is in charge Okay, that God, Jesus, calls people to serve him because he's the one in charge. He is the ultimate and supreme authority. He is the commanding officer and and king, and his is the voice that matters most. I hope you're saying amen at home. His is the voice that matters most. Jesus is the king and commander. The Christian life, I often say, is all about acknowledging Jesus as Lord and as Saviour. Do I get a drink? How did you know? 
I was getting a bit preachy there for a second. Hey, church. Get my AOG on. The Christian life, we're not public. I can, make, I can say stuff like that until next week. Yeah, yeah, no, then I can't. No denominational jokes until then. The Christian church, church, the Christian church, no, the Christian life is about acknowledging Jesus as Lord and Savior. You've heard me say this so often. He is Savior, which means we believe he, know, he wants what's best for us. But because he is Lord, we acknowledge he knows what's best for us. We give our life to the, the supreme authority who knows what is best. Jesus is Lord. I have a unique take on this, and, and not everyone sees it the same way. But when Jesus speaks of the man who built his house on the rock, it's not to me the man who built his house on the word. Because Jesus says he is the man who hears my word and practices it. That's the man who builds his house on a rock. So the rock represents hearing Jesus' word and putting it into practice. In other words, the way I see it is the rock represents the revelation that Jesus is Lord, that your word goes. Okay, when I build my life, I build my life on the reality that Jesus is Lord. His word goes. What he says, I do. This is a major uh, picture and revelation of who Jesus is. Now, I'm not saying, of course, that the Christian life is all about war and it's all about analogy or is all about authority. No, 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 no. This is why we have many identities given to us in the scripture. This is why God reveals himself in many different ways because his nature and our nature as we relate to him is complex. And so it takes more than one illustration. It is true to say I am a husband, but that's not the full picture of who I am. It's true to say I am a father, but it's not the full picture. It's true to say I'm a son. It's true to say I'm a pastor, but none of those things give a full picture of who I am. I am or how I relate to people. The same is true with God. He gives many pictures of us, many pictures of himself. And so as we look at this picture, yes, it declares his authority. But it's not that every time he speaks, he speaks like a commanding officer. Okay, sometimes he speaks as a lover. Sometimes he speaks as a coach, as we'll see next week. Sometimes he speaks as a big brother. Sometimes he speaks as a dad. Sometimes he speaks as a friend. Okay, but sometimes he speaks as a commanding officer. And our job is to say, yes, sir. When he speaks with that tone, okay, when he speaks with that tenure, when he speaks with that hat on, as it were, when he gives us a command, our attitude as good soldiers is to say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, it's been interesting, I think, to watch the ways that uh, different countries, different cultures have responded over this uh, pandemic to the the. Um, yeah, yeah, to the instructions given by the government and the way that some cultures very much, I mean, they are militant. You know, if their government says something, boom, on the way up, they ask how high. In fact, they don't even ask. They just keep going, you know, until they're told to stop. They are very uh, obedient, is not the word, very, yeah, they, they're very submissive to their government almost immediately. It's been built in to their culture. Other cultures like ours are not so much. And personally, I think that's a good thing. <laughs> okay. Personally, I think we do not want to blindly follow human leaders, particularly if they've not yet proven themselves. Okay, so we want to have a trust in a democratic society and we want to know that there's dialogue and discourse over various things. Now, of course, when things are urgent, that can have a downside. Okay, this is why some of our countries were very slow at getting their populations to respond because we're not used to responding militarily. And this is one of the nuances that we need to grow in wisdom as we hear God's voice. We need to be aware of when his voice comes to us with an urgency. 
Okay, when his voice comes to us with an urgency, we trust his voice in those situations. Sometimes I've shared stories like this before, but um, our leadership group will watch me operate like that. I had to do a little bit of this <laughs> last week when, uh, when we were uh, sharing the news with you about GB last Thursday. With all the kindness and the care and the compassion that we were to share that news that morning, behind the scenes there was a, a militaristic operation <laughs> going on where I've gathered people together that I needed to help me. And I said, listen, this is your job and, and you've got to do this and this in this period of time. There was commands that just came because sometimes there is an urgency to do things and to do things well. Now, we can't operate like that all the time, and neither does God, okay? But there are times and situations of an urgency where God's voice will come with that kind of urgency. I think I'm meandering a bit there, but I just simply want to say this, the, the soldier analogy. What does it teach us about Jesus? It teaches us that he is the commanding officer, and at times he speaks with urgency, and our job as good soldiers is to say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, dear. Let me just say, I'm very happy with today and the way things are going. I, I really can't wait to have you guys here. It's, uh, yeah, I'm sure, we, I'm sure we're getting amens at home on that one. Here we go. I, I, I feed off your feedback, and I think most preachers would, uh, would appreciate that. All right, number one, what does it reveal about Jesus? He is a king and a commanding officer. What does this picture, this analogy, number two, reveal to us about others? The joy of biblical application. What does it reveal about Jesus? What does it reveal, number two, about others? One of the first things that shows us this picture is that there is a war going on. There is a war going on. As we look around us, there are those in this war who are our fellow fighters. There are those who are fellow soldiers with us, our comrades, as it were, in arms. There is mateship in the trenches. There are those uh, fighting with us who have human delegated authorities. One of the things you know when you're in an army. Yeah, there's a commanding officer. There's an ultimate king. But there's also human chains of command. And as we relate to one another, we observe those chains of command as well. What does it teach us about others? It teaches us that God gives authority to humans. And sometimes as Christians, we're very happy to say, yes, Jesus is an authority. And sometimes it's a little bit more awkward to say, yes, I recognize authority in others. But this, again, is something we recognize as we relate to other people. The other thing it shows us about others is that there are enemies out there. Some others are fellow fighters. Some others are our enemies. Now, Paul brings great clarity to that when Ephesians 6, they're talking about the armor of God. He says, actually, our enemies, by the way, aren't human. <laughs> we actually never really have human enemies. Our enemies are principalities and powers in dark places. Okay, there's still others. Okay, uh, but as we consider what does this passage teach me about others, we need to be aware there is an enemy. And thirdly, we need to be aware that there are people who need our protection and need the liberation that our kind of army brings. The role of a soldier in the army of a benevolent government, at least, is to liberate and protect, to defeat that which is bad and promote and protect that which is good. We see this, the first battle we see in the Bible with Abraham, 
who takes 138 men uh, from his own family and he goes and he liberates his cousin Lot from people who have oppressed him. Okay? He liberates his cousin Lot. This is the picture of a benevolent army that destroys that which is evil and promotes and protects that which is good. When we look at the picture of a soldier, what does it teach us about Jesus? He is our commanding officer. His voice is the great authority in our life. What does it teach us, oh, about others? It teaches us that some people in our life are fellow fighters. And so we relate to them on that basis. Some others are enemies and some others are in need of our protection and in need of the liberation that we bring. And so as we use the weapons of our warfare, as we read passages like Isaiah 61, okay, God has sent me to break chains. God, the Lord has anointed me to declare freedom for the captives. That is an army picture. Okay, freedom, blue face, the whole kilt, the whole thing, okay? Freedom for our people and freedom for the captives. This is what it teaches us about others. As you go about your week this week, reflecting on this picture, have that in mind. God has called us to protect. God has called us to promote peace and therefore liberate people who are not experiencing that. And lastly, we finish with this. J-O-Y, the joy of biblical application. What does this passage teach me about Jesus? What does it teach me about others? Thirdly, what does it teach you about you? What does the picture of a soldier, this picture of great dedication, teach about you verse 3 again join with me in suffering like a good soldier of christ no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs but rather he tries to please his commanding officer what does this picture teach me about me well it teaches me simply this i am a soldier among all the other identities i have i am a soldier of christ and i am under his command It's not that Jesus is the supreme authority in some vague way. I'm a soldier. And I am under his command. He has enlisted me. And he has equipped me to serve him, to do whatever he has called me to do. This is the two-part nature, remember, of grace. He has enlisted me. He is my commanding officer. He's enlisted me. He said, I call you and I choose you. Come, follow me acceptance grace and he equips me empowering grace i'm a soldier i'm under his command enlisted and equipped by him but it is up to me whether or not i am a good soldier endure hardship with us like a good soldier of christ I'm a soldier, but it's up to me whether I'm a good one. And some of the qualities here of a good soldier that we see just in these two verses is that good soldiers are willing to endure hardship, willing to endure paying the price for the cause of our king, willing to pay the price and join with those who serve sacrificially. This Friday, we're going to farewell a good soldier. As a church family, as best we can, we're going to wave goodbye 
to someone who demonstrated to us what it's like to serve sacrificially. Good soldiers do that. Good soldiers, four words, represents the Anzacs. Sacrifice is the last one. Endurance in sacrifice, this is a quality of a good soldier. And this is the kind of soldier I want to be. The second aspect of a good soldier I see here in these verses is it says no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. And certain translations do use the word involved, but personally, it's not the greatest word because to me, a soldier can be involved in affairs, can be involved in other things, just not entangled in them. It's the same with an athlete, a competitive athlete. The next picture can be involved in other things besides athletics. Of course they can. They're a whole person. But when they're focused on their task, they're not entangled in anything. And this is probably the strongest word personally I had as prophetically this morning as I was praying for you guys. Is that I just felt this word. Untangled. I think some of us need to take that today. Untangled. Let it go, let it go. Is that, the, is that the right musical? No, I've mixed my kids' stories there. Forget it, take that off the live recording as well. Untangled. We're not to read a scripture like this and go, as a good soldier of Jesus, I'm only to be involved in church ministry. Okay? <laughs> Boring. <laughs> this is what a lot of preachers and pastors have done in the past we've wrongly divided that is that which is secular with that which is spiritual okay and so you know if you're spiritual you do the church thing uh which means you don't play sport you don't go to movies you don't enjoy wineries you don't enjoy music or that because this is secular this is art and all that that no no, no <laughs> that's nonsense everything we do is spiritual as an act of worship so it's not that as soldiers, we have to only be focused on serving Jesus in some type of pulpit ministry, like this is more important than art is. No, not at all. We need to be involved in life and the fullness of what our creative creator has given to us on this planet because it reveals his character and it's all an act of worship to him. We can be involved in whatever we like, but a good soldier knows that involvement will not entangle him her so that if and when the commanding officer speaks out of a drop of a hat he can let go and move on call to serve that i know because i've submitted to the great authority that if and when he calls me to give up anything i'd be willing to do that there's just something here about not being tied to anything should the voice of god speak to me i just thought it'd be helpful to bring that clarity today. And I think, you know, a moment like this that we've been experiencing in the last month or so is a good opportunity for us to live an untangled life. And maybe today that's a Damascus Road conversation you can have. You know, God, is there anything that actually is entangling me, entangling my heart, entangling my mind that I can kind of still be involved in, but not allow it to entangle because your voice will be the only thing that matters. There's certain times in our life, and in fact, our call to this type of ministry is one of them. When Jay and I 
heard God really clearly and on a number of occasions backing up that God had called us to plant a church. It was 18 years ago, can you sheesh, 2002. And we were asking God, you know, which road do we take? Do we pursue acting as a career? Do we pursue pulpit ministry, church leadership ministry? And God very clearly spoke to us in three ways, privately, through conversations with friends and also publicly. And that day when we knew God had confirmed this call to us, it was that very day I rang up my acting agent that day. And after 10 years of doing acting work, I said, listen, I'm burning. I, I feel like I need to burn this bridge as I move on to focus on something else. And for me, it was just the right thing to do. I knew that I loved doing that, but it wouldn't entangle me when the commanding officer called. And I think no matter what call we receive, okay, no matter what call, this call is not superior to any others. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying no matter what call we receive, a good soldier knows, Lord, your voice is ultimately the voice in my life. And I am going to ensure that my life is not entangled in things that will hold me back from obeying your voice at the drop of a hat. Did I, make, did I sort of clarify that? That makes a sort of sense. I live for the audience of one. And this is the last thing I see in this passage. It says, because ultimately this good soldier, a good soldier that perseveres, that serves sacrificially, a good soldier that's not entangled because he has a sense of focus. And this focus is on the reward that is pleasing his commanding officer. Where at the end of the day, I as a soldier understand I give an account of my life to one. I do my best in the eyes of other people, but I'm not answerable ultimately to other people. I'm answerable to one. I'm answerable ultimately to my commanding officer. Hence the need to live with a clear conscience before him. I answer to the voice of one. And as a soldier, I know that I will dress up. I will play my part. I will take my place. I will know my place. I will know who my enemy is. I will know who I'm standing alongside of. As a good soldier, I will see beyond the immediate for a generation and a generation beyond my own as I stand strong in his grace. Because God's word is not chained. But it takes links in the chain to keep his kingdom expanding and I'm going to be a strong link. These are just some of the reflections I've had as I pondered this picture. Paul, and today I'll do the same, Bayside, I want to encourage you to do the same this week. Remember, Paul said here to Timothy, reflect on what I'm saying so the Lord will give you insight. Three things. I'll leave you with these and we'll close with the song today. Number one, read this passage again and ask yourself, what does this teach me, Jay, about Jesus? What does this passage teach me about others? And what does it teach me about you? What does it teach me about myself? Read, reflect, and respond to those truths this week. Good soldier, fighting a good battle, enduring to the end, understanding the weapons of our warfare and taking them seriously. 
And then you know, I know those of you, you're watching at home, some of you, 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 your brains are ticking. You're like, oh, Chad, you should have spoken about this. You should have spoken about weapons. You should have spoken about warfare. You know what? There's a lot in this subject. That's your job this week. Search it out. Investigate the scriptures. Reflect on this reality and see what lessons God wants to bring to you. And for right now, as a response today, I want to encourage you at home. Why don't you stand to your feet? where you are at home today, okay? Let's get active now. Stand at attention, soldier. And let's use one of the greatest weapons that we have today, which is our praise and our worship and our declaration of God's goodness today. As Joyce Meyer famously says, one of the greatest weapons of our warfare is just under our nose. Why don't you take your words this week, take the weapon of praise that is in your mouth, a double-edged sword, and let's worship our King today. Can you stand with me at home, church? Can you stand with me? And let's worship Him again as we close today. Understanding we worship and we pray from a place of great victory as soldiers in God's army. All right. Bless you. Let's go. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day.